0: Last week we introduced a sermon series that we entitled Victory. The reason we entitled it Victory is because we're talking about spiritual warfare and oftentimes as believers we feel like uh man I just don't know if I can ever get any victories. It just seems like that uh that I keep seeing defeats along the way. And I just want to let you know that what God's word has shown is that we can have victory in uh, in spiritual warfare. Whenever a person makes a decision to receive Christ as Savior, uh, all of a sudden, there's a conflict between two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And, uh, and once you become a Christian, then it's Satan's desire to destroy you, destroy your life, destroy your influence. And there will be a battle that will take place. The two cannot coexist. There cannot be compromise. There's not like a peaceful, let's just, hey, let's just get along. Because we're on two opposite ends of the spectrum when we look at what Satan wants for this world and for what the Lord wants for this world. And so we fight these daily battles, these daily skirmishes in our life to where Satan constantly tempts us and tries to trip us up and tries to guide us in different directions. And so the question is, what can we do to have victory as a believer every day through our battles The Apostle Paul, writing a letter to the Ephesians while being in prison, wrote in the closing chapter of that letter an analogy of the armor of God. And as he sat in that prison and he saw a Roman soldier every day, it's like God inspired him to take parts of the armor of a Roman soldier and then relate that to the armor that we can put on as Christians To fight our battles daily. So, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, I want us to look first of all at verse 13 because that is the victory verse. And then we will start and look at uh, the pieces of the armor. In verse 13, it says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. We used a word last week called the panoply, which means the whole armor of God take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. That's a word of victory. Done, Having done all, you can withstand, you stand firm. It's like a wrestling term where the person's down and you're standing over them, you're victorious. And he says, you can stand firm. You can be victorious in spiritual battles. So then in verse 14, he says, stand therefore, And he begins to lay out the pieces of the armor. Now, there are six pieces of the armor. And so today, we're going to look at three of those pieces and then come back next Sunday and we'll do the final three pieces of the armor. So the very first piece of the armor he talks about is what's called a belt of truth, a belt of truth. And he says in verse 14, "...having fastened on the belt of truth." Having fastened on the belt of truth." Most of, during those times, the belt was about six inches wide. It was made out of leather. Uh, there was an apron portion to protect. And there was also a way that it would it would uh, kind of hold everything together. So the belt was important. It was the first thing that you put on. It kind of held it all together. And plus, it is what held the sheath for the sword, which is your one offensive weapon. And so you have to get the belt on first. You got to fasten it on. And whenever someone would fasten the belt, it meant that a soldier was on duty. I mean, once you he clicked in that belt, whatever, he tightened it up, it meant he was on duty. When the belt was slack, it meant that he was off duty. For us as believers, I suggest that every morning we pray on the armor of God. Every morning, the first thing you do is you fasten on the belt. And you fasten on the belt of truth this is what I began to think is that when he says the belt represents truth, it could have represented anything. Why didn't the helmet represent truth or the shield represent truth? But he chose for the belt to represent truth. And the reason he did this is because of the attributes of the adversary and the function of the belt. So I want you to think about this. Very first thing, fasten on the belt of truth. Think about our adversary. In John chapter 8 verse 11 of uh, verse 44, this is what how uh Jesus describes Satan. He says he Satan was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and a father of lies. Not a glowing recommendation uh for Satan here. And he says this is who he is. He's a father of lies. That's his character. Everything he says to you is going to be a lie. And he said in in John 10 that the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. The thief comes in to steal, kill, and destroy. What Satan desires to do is he desires to steal from you, to steal your joy, for young people to steal your virginity, to kill your influence, to kill your effectiveness, to destroy your marriage, to destroy your career, and to destroy your witness. We're on the flip side of it. Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundant, and you may have a purpose in your living. So when you fasten on the belt of truth, it's always a place to start if you're going to engage in spiritual warfare. In order to battle the lies of this world and the lies of Satan, you need to have a foundation of truth. And that's how you need to start it off. So he says you need to fasten on the belt of truth. So the question is, well, how do you fasten the belt of truth? When I pray and say, God, put on the, (laughs) the belt of truth, how am I supposed to do that? Well, there's two things you need to do, and you probably need to write these down. Number one is this, acknowledge that there is a standard of absolute truth. We need to acknowledge that there is a standard of absolute truth. When he says it's the belt of truth, it refers to the truth of God's word and his message that is in the gospel. It is the embodiment of Jesus Christ. He is the truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So you need to acknowledge that there is a standard of absolute truth, and it is found in God's word. It contains God's truths. And in God's word, it says there are things that are right, and it says that there are things that are wrong. Now, this, in our society, is a highly debated issue. Rather than ascribe to the belief of absolute truth, today's culture embraces what we call relativism, and it rejects an idea of any moral absolutes. And this is best expressed as to what we call tolerance. Now, it's interesting uh, with today's generation, older generations and really throughout history... When you define tolerance, this is how tolerance was defined. You recognize and respect others' beliefs and practices without sharing those same beliefs and practices. What that means is, I love you, I accept you, but I don't agree with maybe your lifestyle, your values, or your beliefs. You embrace all people, but not all beliefs. So what tolerance is, is to say, I believe this way. You would come up to me and say, well, I believe differently. My values are different. My beliefs are different. We could have a a conversation. We could talk back and forth. And at the end of the day, I would just have to say, you know what? I just I just can't agree with that. But listen, I still respect you. I still embrace you. God loves you. I love you. I still see if we can have fellowship together. Uh, but I just want to let you know that I, I just don't agree with that but I still respect you as an individual. That's what tolerance is. It doesn't mean that you're mean-spirited to somebody and you kick them to the curb and, uh, and you're critical of them. It just means, I can't agree. I can't agree with, with that. And, uh, and we can go on with life. That's what we grew up with as tolerance. But then over the last number of years, they've changed that definition. And today's definition of tolerance is this. Every single individual's lifestyle, values, beliefs, And truth claims are equal. And that means that if you say one thing, you think that's truth, and you say this is truth, and you say something else is truth, they're all the same. And they all count as equal. And it's not just a matter of just accepting these truth claims, but now we need to praise someone else's values. We need to celebrate them, and we embrace them as they're equal to your own, even if you don't even agree with them. So what tolerance is today is that you have to, when you say something in your lifestyle, your value of belief is completely contrary to God's word and to everything that I believe, I am supposed to agree with you and say, oh, that's wonderful. And I'm to celebrate it and to praise it and even to embrace it, even if it's complete opposite as to what I believe. That just doesn't make a lot of sense. But that's where we are. And but if you say, but if I make a stand for truth, you will be labeled as being an intolerant person because you didn't embrace something that you didn't believe in. Well, if we're going to fasten on the belt of truth, the very first thing we have to do is we've got to acknowledge that there is a standard of truth. And I don't make it up. You don't make it up. God's the one that designed it. God's the one that created the world. God's the one that created us. And because he did that, he's got the right to lay out what's right and wrong and what's truth and what's error. And he did that in his word. And so, what we do is we read his word and we follow his word for our guidance and direction. This is where we find truth. And so if you're going to get involved in, in spiritual warfare that's going to be attacking you, and, and sometimes when you start hearing this message, you think, oh, we're just dealing with cultural issues on there. That's a part of it. But I'm talking about every day in your life, you can get to a point to where you can begin drinking the Kool-Aid of the culture and all of a sudden you begin to compromise in your own life. And you begin to accept the things that the world says, which is opposite from God's word, and you begin to bring things into your own life that are not in keeping with God's word. And what you've done is you have exchanged the truth for a lie. And you're believing what Satan is saying as one who is a liar, who has a desire to destroy you. You see, for a Christian, we are to assert that the Bible is the truth. When Jesus had his final prayer in John 17, when he was praying for the for us as Christians, he says this in 1717, Lord, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. God's word is truth. And a believer whose life is controlled by the truth, you will defeat Satan. And if you want to start your day off and you say, I'm battling a lot of different things in my life, get up in the morning, fasten on the belt of truth. That means that you're ready for battle. It's like you're rolling up your sleeves and said, I'm ready to go and I'm going to stand on the foundation of God's word. I don't care what's thrown at me. I'm going to go to God's word and say, okay, God, what should I, what should I do here? This is my standard of truth. And there comes the second point, And that is this, that is to integrate truth into your daily life. You integrate it. It's, it's, it's more than just saying, I believe the Bible Just the fact you hold up your Bible and you come to Shades Mountain Baptist Church and you go to vacation Bible school or you go on a student retreat or you come to Sunday school and just say, I believe the Bible's true. That's one thing. But can you integrate that truth into your daily life? That's where it starts off. You fasten on that belt and then you begin to integrate all this truth into your life. And you want to live a life of a person of integrity and of character according to God's word. Here's something you can ask yourself. Anytime something comes to you, ask your question. Is what I'm considering more likely to move me closer to or further away from my integrity? Is what I'm getting ready to do, is it going to move me closer to or further away from my integrity? And if I can get to the point where everything that starts coming into my life and invading me with thoughts and temptations and actions, if I can stop and say, okay, God, is this going to make me move closer to or further away from my integrity, from character, from being a child of God, it sometimes makes the answer pretty easy because you go, nah, this is taking me in a wrong direction. I don't need to do that. Very clear what God's Word has to say. You put on the belt of truth. You fasten on the belt of truth. And with that belt of truth, it means you get a good start to your day. You know how they say if you start in the wrong direction, you'll continue to go in the wrong direction. If you start in the right direction, put on the belt of truth. Acknowledge God's word as my standard of truth. Integrate it into my daily life. You're going to be in a good start to have victory over any type of spiritual warfare. Fasten on the belt of truth. Well, then he comes back and gives you the second piece of armor. And it says in verse 14, that having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, when you think about a breastplate of righteousness, the very first thing you think of is, what does it protect? What's the very first thing that you think that it would protect? Your heart, okay? And it does. It protects your heart, your seat of emotion. So I put on the breastplate of righteousness. The interesting thing about that breastplate of righteousness is it also kind of covers your back too. And what it does is it covers all the vital organs of your body. And so I put on that breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to stand for truth. And I am going to put on this breastplate of righteousness. And it symbolizes the righteousness I have in Christ as well as a righteous life that I will live in Christ. So let me explain that to you. When you put on the breastplate of righteousness, let's say you get up in the morning, you pray on the belt of truth, then you say, I'm going to put on the breastplate of righteousness. What does that mean? Number one, the first thing is you claim positional righteousness. Now, I want you to stay with me. We have talked about this before, but I'm just going to keep talking about it because it is so important. You claim positional righteousness. You say, what does that mean? It means 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, the living Bible takes that and just paraphrases it and says it this way. He says, for God took the sinless Christ and he poured into him our sins. And then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. So I want you to think about that. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, he took all of our sins. And God took all of His sins and he poured those into Christ and he died for us. And so when he died for us and then was raised from the dead three days later, It meant that he had conquered sin, all the effects of sin. He'd conquered death. He took care of it. He paid the penalty for each one of us. But then he says that God then took the righteousness of Christ and the goodness of Christ and he poured that into us. And so when you wake up in the morning and you put on the breastplate of righteousness, the first thing that you need to realize is you claim positional righteousness. That means I am righteous in Christ And when God sees me, he sees the righteousness of Christ. You say, well, how does this help me fight these spiritual battles with the devil? Well, when you do this, it helps you to fight the feelings of despair, unworthiness, inadequacy, and insecurity that Satan loves to come around and works on you. You see, when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Satan wants you to think that when God looks at you, he just sees someone who is just terrible and bad and shameful. And then he begins to get into your mind. And he begins to afflict you with feelings where he says, you're really not good enough to be saved. And what happens is when you take your eyes off of Christ and his righteousness and you focus on yourself and your righteousness, You have just played right into the devil's hands because all of a sudden, when I just began to think about my life, then the devil can find all kind of flaws and blemishes in my righteousness, but he cannot find anything wrong in the righteousness of Christ. You claim positional righteousness. You have the righteousness of Christ. You, if you've made the decision to receive Christ, you have been saved. You are a child of God. And so it is to remind you that you don't stand on your own merits, but you stand on the merits of Christ. And at times what Satan will do is he'll go a step farther. And he'll begin to attack your self-worth and render you as almost helpless and useless. And you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and all you see is someone who's not pretty enough, who's not strong enough, who's not smart enough, who's not talented enough, who's not good enough. You just see someone who's always messing up. They say the wrong thing at the wrong time. You see someone who seems to give in the temptation way too often. You always seem to be the one that's left out of the crowd. You always seem to be the one that gets passed over for promotion. And so you begin to look at yourself, and then Satan sneaks around there, and he begins to put into your head all these feelings of inferiority and inadequacy and insecurity, and it's just a flood and when you begin to feel all those insecurities, then you get stress and then you get anxiety and then there's bitterness and then there's fear and then there's anger. And all of these are breeding grounds for Satan to do whatever he wants to in your life. Does that does that make sense? You see how he comes at us like that? And so when we began to get these feelings of insecurity and inadequacy, he is just a field day for him. And he slides in and he can begin to work us over. They didn't get us so tired we'll give in to almost anything. And we just throw our hands up and just give in to this temptation or that temptation. And then all of a sudden our life begins to come off the rails. You see, next time you, need, you look in the mirror, I want you to put on the breastplate of righteousness. I want you to see what God sees. Because what God sees is he says, I see a child of mine for whom my son died for. I see someone who has value who has worth, who has purpose. And when he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ because he poured the righteousness of Christ into you because his son paid your sins. And so when I put on that breastplate of righteousness, that is a great reminder that I have positional righteousness in Christ. And I don't need to let Satan continue to knock me down, knock me down, knock me down, and just keep putting these things in my head. I need to step up and say, you know, I'm a child of the king. I have the righteousness of Christ with me. You have that positional righteousness. You need to claim that. But when you put on the breastplate of righteousness, the second thing you do is you commit to practical righteousness. Second of all, you commit to practical righteousness. That means that you apply these things that you're learning and you live a righteous life. Here's a statement says, the life that we live either fortifies us against Satan's attacks or it makes it easier for him to defeat us. The life we live either fortifies us against Satan's attacks or makes it easier for him to defeat us. You see, righteous living protects us from the attacks of Satan. And if we could go and and dress up and fight like Roman soldiers did and you decided to not go with the breastplate and I decided to go with one, I think I'm going to be in a better position to win a battle than you would because you are going to be so vulnerable. And what happens is if we live lives that are not built around righteousness, we open up the door for Satan to come in and to attack us. And you see, that's where the compromise comes in. What Satan wants you to do is just compromise this one area, or maybe just compromise this other area, compromise this relationship. And then as he continues to encourage you to compromise, then it is as if you're taking that breastplate of righteousness and taking it off and just setting it off in the corner and say, maybe I can just fight this battle without that. This is why twice Paul says, put on the whole armor of God, the panoply, all six pieces. You can't just set one aside. And that's what Satan wants. Because once he finds that weakness, he's going to just keep coming at it over and over and over and over again. And sometimes we're going to have to open up our eyes and see that and recognize that. You know, we are smart enough in sports to know that if someone has a weakness, we can take advantage of that. If you're playing basketball and you're right-handed and you really can't go to your left very well, they pick up on that real quick and guess what they do? They shift over and and cut you off and force you to go to your left because they know you can't do that very well. And we look at that coach when the game was over and said, wow, you're so smart. Couldn't believe you figured that out. And then in our spiritual lives, we don't think that Satan can figure out that if we compromise on a couple of things, he'll never know that we're doing that. I think I can just sort of take this off and lay it over in the corner. Once you do that, you're just ripe for attack. Romans 6.13, the Apostle Paul gives us this challenge. He says, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Look at that bottom down here. Offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. How about that? To say, Lord, my whole body, everything about me, mind, soul, spirit, I want to offer it to you as an instrument of righteousness. And that means my eyes. You think about your eyes and what you look at, your ears and what you listen to, your mouth, the words that you say, your feet, the places that you go. Make them to be instruments of righteousness. When you get up every morning, start out and say, Lord, I want to put on the belt of truth. I want to stand on the authority of God's word. I'm strapped on, I'm ready to go, I'm ready for battle. And then the second thing, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And when you put on the breastplate of righteousness, I want you to think about Ephesians 4.24. And Ephesians 4.24 says, And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You put on that new self created after the likeness of God, true righteousness and holiness. The Bible says that when you become a Christian, you become a new creation. So when you put on that breastplate of righteousness, be reminded that you are a new creation, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. And, and you know, folks, um, we don't just live in defense, okay? That's where the sword comes. That That's going to be office. We're going to cover that next week. But I'm just thinking we, we need to get pretty aggressive in these battles and, and just say, Satan, I don't want you to take my life. I don't want you to control my life. So you put on that breastplate. And, you know, in, in sports and everything, it seems like every time somebody does something good, what do they do? They kind of, you know, how they pump their heart in there. They, yeah, pump their chest on there. And, uh, you know, when you put it in, give it a couple bumps on there and say, let's go. I'm ready. Whenever a soldier fashioned his, put, put the belt on, it's like, hey, he's ready for battle. Do the same thing. Put on that breastplate of righteousness. Give a couple chest bumps to yourself and say, okay, let's go. Breastplate of Righteousness. I have positional righteousness in Christ. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to live a righteous life in my day. So we got the belt. We got the breastplate. Then we've got the shoes. We've got the shoes. It must be the shoes. Look what it says over here. Verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And as shoes for your feet. I always thought that was a little bit of a surprise when you went through all the armor and I've watched a lot of movies and probably you have too. And I've noticed the helmet and the breastplate and the shield and, and the belt and thing and this sword. I never really focused on shoes. Did you? It's just something different for me. You know, as a guy, and especially you know, a single guy, I never thought much about shoes. You know, my, my life is pretty simple. I had a dress pair of black shoes and a dress pair of brown shoes and then a pair of tennis shoes. And since I was a jock, I had two pairs of tennis shoes, one to play tennis, one to play basketball. That was it. Sort of a jock. So that was it. That was my closet. That was was shoes. And then I got married. Women bring a whole new appreciation for shoes uh, with them. And I guess where it jumped out at me is that uh, when Janice and I were going to uh, an Auburn football game and, and, um, you know, for me to drive to a ball game, I gotta listen to the pregame, and and I'm getting pumped and and jacked up and fired up. And you get out of the car, and you're walking over the game, and people are yelling, they got their shakers going, and you're just you're getting infused. And and you come to the gate, and you start walking up the uh, up the ramp to get to your seat. You can hear the band playing, and you smell the grass, and and you see the players are out there, and they're and you know they're getting ready, doing their practice and their stretches and everything. And man, you're just geared up. You're coming up to the seats and all these guys that you usually sit with, they're high-fiving and they're talking about the game and they're, they're yelling and, man, I'm just into it. And then, and then Janice, who hadn't had an opportunity to come to many games, is able to come to this game and, and you got to do the little squeeze-through, you know, when you get through your row like this. And so as we're squeezing down the row, we're going down the row, every woman goes, "Ooh, I love those shoes. Woo, cute shoes. Oh, those are pretty shoes. I love those shoes over there. I looked at them and I want to go, "This is Division One football. What do you mean?" <laughs> and speaking of that, Division One football, Ryan Brown, how many days is it till they kick off on a Thursday night? 88. <laughs> we got 88 days to kick it off. This is Division One football, and everyone on the rows are going, "I love those shoes." All right. Well, shoes are important, And guess what? They were important to the Romans. And in fact, historians have said that their footwear is part of why they did so great in their battle. You see, you can see these nails over here. They put like hobnails in their boots. Some of them were flipped around but had little spikes in their boots, in their sandals, excuse me, in their sandals. And what they would do is because they had these nails in there, it gave them a security and a stability to be able to stand. And to handle all the different terrains. And it gave them a a, a kind of a firm foundation so they could then fight the battle. And so shoe wear for the Romans was very, very important. And so while Paul is sitting there and he looks at everything and he comes down and he looks at the shoes. And he realizes that that is important. And he says it is a, it symbolized a readiness given by the gospel of peace. A readiness given by the gospel of peace. A readiness, a stability, a firm footing. So the believer needs to have this steadiness, this stability to stand in battle, to go face to face with the enemy and not be moved. And you said, and what gives them this steadiness? It says, the gospel of peace. This is the only place in all of Scripture that Paul calls it the gospel of peace. So you're fighting a battle, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, then shoes, which is a gospel of peace. So how's a gospel of peace going to help me in a spiritual warfare? Well, let me put it this way. Satan looks for troubled souls who are anxious, stressful, carrying daily struggles by themselves. And when we fall into that, we tend to panic, we become easily distracted, and we're vulnerable for attack. And when he sees that, he lights up. It says he's like a roaring lion seeking after his prey. And when he sees like one of the weak ones straggling over here because of all the stresses and the anxieties of life, that is fertile ground for him to pounce and to take you out when we begin to compromise on God's Word, we begin to claim, and we don't claim the truths of Scripture, and then we begin to allow the anxieties of life to control your life, you begin to lose your footing. And when I stand on the Word of God and I claim my positional righteousness, if I begin to get away from that and I don't claim the truth of God, I don't claim His right, then all of a sudden, my standing is not real firm. And when it's not real firm... He's coming after you, and he's coming after you with his desire to take you down. However, there is a readiness. When we tie on the gospel of peace as we strap on a sandal, and we bind peace upon our minds and upon our emotions the same way a Roman soldier would make sure to bind his shoes tightly on his feet, then we are ready for battle. When the peace of God has a firm grip in our lives, then we are ready for action. The word readiness portrayed men of war. They had their shoes tied on tightly and it meant that they were ready to battle. Strapped on your belt, got your shoes tied, your sandals are set, you're ready to go. And they knew they were ready because they had assurance that they had the footing necessary to fight the battle. You say, well, well, how do I do this? How how do I get this gospel of peace is strapping on my sandals? You do two things, all right? Number one, you allow the peace of God to rule in your heart. You need to allow the peace of God to rule in your heart. Colossians 3.15 says this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Now, I love that word rule. That word rule is a word where we get our word umpire or referee. That's where we get umpire or referee. These are the ones who judge the athletic games in the ancient world. So what he's saying is let Christ be the umpire of your life and let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let that peace be the umpire, the ruling in your life. There is a place where the peace of God can call the shots in our life. There's a place where the peace of God can help us to make decisions in our life. And instead of fretfulness, anxiety, and worry driving us, He says, let the peace of Christ be the umpire. Let him be the ruler in your life. Let the peace of God help you to make these decisions. When I make a decision out of a peaceful um, understanding versus anxiety and fretfulness and worry, I do a whole lot better. I make a whole lot better decisions on there. And he says, let the peace of Christ be the umpire in your life. Let him be the rule in your life. The devil will do everything he can to destroy your mind. But when this supernatural peace rules in your heart, when this supernatural peace umpires your life and serves as a referee to your emotions and your decisions, the devil cannot gain a foothold in your life that he desires. You have got the peace of the gospel. You have got a strong standing. You have got a firm footing. and You can fight the battle. It's the gospel of peace. And he says, may he rule in your life. May he be the umpire. So you allow that to happen. And the final thing is this, and accept that the peace of God will guard your heart. Accept that the peace of God will guard your heart. Philippians 4, 6-7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What's interesting on this verse, this verse does not say that God's going to deliver you from the situation nor answer your prayers exactly the way that you want to. There's nothing in that verse that said, hey, if you pray, He'll do it. And there's a song that's out now talking about, uh, you know, Lord, even though you don't move the mountains that I wish that you would move or that you don't split the seas that I wish that I could walk through on dry land, even though you don't do those things, He says, she says, I will trust you. I will trust you. And so in this verse, he says, the peace comes not in the fact that God answered that prayer, but the peace comes in the fact that you've got a confidence and a security in the love of God. And you said, the peace of God will then transcend all your understanding. And it says, it will guard your hearts. So cool that he uses that word because that's a word for Roman soldiers, a garrison of soldiers to, to surround and guard a dignitary. And he says the peace of God is going to surround and guard your heart. He's going to protect your heart. and So peace keeps apprehension and anxiety and worry and all these other wiles of the devil from breaking into your life. And when this peace is active in your life, it passes all understanding, it protects you, it guides you, and it defends you. That's how you attack the wiles of the devil and be able to make your stand so that you can have victory. So think about it. I take the belt of truth. You fasten that on. You acknowledge that there is one standard of truth and, and, and that is God's word. And, but then I integrate those truths into my life. And so when I wake up in the morning, it's like rolling up my sleeves, getting ready to go. I put that on. Then there's that breastplate of righteousness, and I want to place that on. I want to protect my heart. I want my heart to be pure. And all these other emotions that are going to be attacked by me, by Satan, I want to make sure that I've got protection there. And every time you put on that breastplate of righteousness, I just want you to to somehow drink in the positional righteousness that you have. And then when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ in you. man. And then let it also be a reminder that I want to live a life of righteousness. I want to take that righteousness that God's word talks about. I want to live my life that way. And I want to put that into my life and live according to his word. And when you do that, you're going to be able to offset all these other temptations Satan's throwing at you. And then last of all, you want to put on your shoes. And you want to tie up those sandals. And it's a gospel of peace. And say, every time I put my shoes on. In fact, you can do this every morning. When you put your shoes on, no matter what kind of shoes you put on, just think about being the gospel of peace. And you got them on, you feel pretty good, and you say, you know what, this gives me firm footing. I can stand solid. I've got the peace of God. I've got the gospel of peace that I carry along with me. And to know that that peace is going to guard my heart. And I'm going to let it rule my life. And I'm not going to let anxiety, I'm not going to let worry direct the decisions I make. I'm going to have a peace, the peace of God. And I'm going to be praying every day. The Lord, that you put this peace in my heart and allow me to make decisions that are God honoring, and that I don't go the way that Satan wants to mislead me. If we get those three pieces on, we're in good shape. Now, see, some of you are getting nervous because you say, well, "I need to know what the other three pieces are." We better come next Sunday, okay? Uh, but you know what? You can read the rest of this chapter, and you can read these others, and just begin starting. Start tomorrow morning. And begin to pray. Pray on these six pieces of armor. Pray on the six pieces of armor. And just begin to start your day with keeping that in mind. And according to what the Bible says, we can have victory. He says, I want you to stand. Okay? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Close your eyes for just a moment. There's some of you here today that um, as as you hear this message, you say, "Whoa! I'd love to have uh, some victory uh, on things that are going in my life. But some of you have never, ever made that decision of coming in to a relationship with God. And so just as your heads are bowed at this time, I I would want you to be take in in a, um, just a very earnest introspection. And if you realize that there's never been a time when you have accepted the gift that God offers you in the death, resurrection of his son, that today could be that day for you to pray and to receive that gift and to recognize and realize that I am a sinner and that separates me from God, but Jesus has already paid all the price for my sins. And he offers me this grace gift. And you could make that decision today. And we'd invite you to pray, to ask him to come into your heart. And then there are many of us here, members of this church who your life is like a war zone and you feel like that Satan seems to keep getting beachheads along the way and winning victories, well, that that can stop, and it can stop today. And because of the power of God's word, it can stop in your life right now. And so my prayer in just a moment is that you will put on this armor of God and that you will realize that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world and that the power of God is stronger than anything else the world can throw at us and begin to move in that direction to victory because that's where God wants us to be. Heavenly Father, I pray for our congregation. I pray for those that are going through so many different battles. And Lord, I'm not making light of anything because there are some really difficult, situations that people sitting in these pews are wrestling with right now. And Lord, some of it is satanic attack. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would so make yourself known in their lives and then let them know that they can be assured of victory and that today will be a day of victory for them, of just knowing that they can acknowledge you and acknowledge your power and then take steps forward for you to claim that victory in their lives. And so Father, help all of us to look at life as an opportunity to put on the whole armor of God and to go into this world and to be salt and light, to fend off the attacks of Satan. But then as we'll see even next week is let's just pour our lives into others. Let's be those who can embrace others, tell them about who Jesus is and explain his love for their lives and help them to understand what it means to come into a right relationship with you. So, Lord, we love you, and we thank you that you have already won the victory and that you also give us everything we need to have victory in our everyday struggles. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.